Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. I'm Pastor Tom, and we want to say welcome for being, being here today. Um, our vision here at South Coast Christian is to create an environment to see what God can do through you. It's to create an environment not just in the church, but to create an environment in your home, to create an environment at your workplace, in your car, uh, wherever you might be, let's create an environment where God's presence is welcomed. Amen? Where God's presence can touch our lives. Um, that's just what we're talking about. We're in a series, if you're new with us today, called 12. It's really talking about the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples of Jesus who are called by Jesus to follow him. And it's interesting that God took 12 ordinary people and he did extraordinary things through their lives. What, made, what was the difference from ordinary to extraordinary? The difference from ordinary to extraordinary is Jesus. Jesus changed their life. And that's what our hope and our desire here at South Coast Christian is, that as we get draw closer to Christ, that guess what? Everything about us continues to change, to be more like him, to be more loving, to be more kind, to be more caring, to be more forgiving. Amen? Today, as we continue this series, we've talked about Andrew, we've talked about Peter. Today, I want to talk about James, James, the son of Zebedee. Um, and as we begin this, we, it's really important that we understand that there is multiple James that are found in the New Testament. There's not just one. Uh, there's James, the apostle of Zebedee, who we're talking about today. There's also another James who is an apostle, uh, one of the 12 apostles. So there's two James. Uh, and the other one is James, the son of Alphaeus. And then there's a third James, just for, to cause a little bit of confusion. There's another James in God's word, and he is the half-brother of Jesus. And he was, he was very important in the leadership of the early church. And he was uh, actually, he's the one uh, most likely that wrote the book of James that we find in the New Testament. That was the half-brother of Jesus. Um, today's focus, as I shared, is on James, the son of Zebedee, who was the brother of John, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle. And according to Mark 3.17, James and John were nicknamed by Jesus as the sons of thunder. I want Jesus to give me a cool nickname like that. You know what I mean? Uh, can you imagine when James walked on the planet? Here's a son of thunder. And you know, he goes, yeah, all the lights. And, yeah. Sons of thunder. We don't know exactly why Jesus was given, gave these the brothers this name, but we can kind of presume that it was probably part of their personality, that their zeal, their ambition, their outgoing, they're, they're just, you know, the sons of thunder. James was one of the first four disciples called by Jesus. If you remember the story, he was, Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee walking along the shore there, and he called Andrew, and he called Peter, and the next two disciples that he called was James and John. Come follow me. These were the first, first four disciples that were called uh, by Jesus. And the other interesting thing about James is James is included in the, in the, the really close three, the most important three, it seems like, that Jesus kind of included in the network. If you remember this, it's Peter, James, and John. They were the ones that kind of were special to Jesus, the closest friends to Jesus. Not that all the apostles weren't important, but James was in that group, Peter, James, and John. It's interesting to note that this inner circle, we're all fishermen as well. And it seems to me Jesus wanted to build a close correlation between fishing for 
fish and fishing for people that we need to be continually trying to bring people in to the kingdom of God. It was Peter, James, and John, which is interesting. James got to experience some pretty cool things with Jesus. Three very special events that uh, he was drawn into. One was the transfiguration when Jesus went onto the mountain and he met with Moses and he met with Elijah. And it says that his, his clothes turned white, that he was basically just the glory of God was so on him that it was hard to look at him. He was so pure, so white. And Jesus was there talking with Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine being on that mountain experiencing that? James was there. James was also invited into the room where Jesus healed Jairus' daughter from the dead. Can you imagine being in the room and all of a sudden that would take place? And then James was also, Peter, James, and John, these were the three that were also invited to the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus invited all the apostles to go and pray, but he chose Peter, James, and John. Will you guys come with me and and come, come pray with me? James was included a lot. He was an important figure of the 12 apostles. Another unique aspect of James that we find as we study his life in the word of God is that he was the only apostle, or he was the first apostle martyred for his faith. And he's the only apostle that is listed in the, in the, in the scriptures that it actually talks about his death. And, and we can find that information in Acts chapter 12 where King Herod Agrippa, who began to persecute the Christians, had James killed by the sword. In fact, it talks about how it pleased all the, the, the religious people so much that James was killed by the sword. We don't know if he was beheaded. We don't know if it was ran, he was ran through with a sword. But we do know that he was killed. And it pleased the people so much that that's when Herod Agrippa arrested Peter. And he put him into prison. And Peter was in prison and the church was in distraught that Peter was in prison and they were wondering what was going to happen. They, they, they're seeing that the destruction of the, of the faith is taking place and, and, and Jesus miraculously or God miraculously saves Peter because it was on the, the, the week of the Passover and Herod Agrippa didn't have Peter killed yet. He was in prison and God sent an angel. And you can read that story in Acts 12. God sends an angel and rescues Peter's life once again. James is also, it seems like in Scripture, he comes from a family with some prominence within the community. We come to this conclusion in Mark chapter 1, verse 20, when James called, or Jesus called James and John to follow him. It states that James and John left their father and some hired men. So the Zebedee family sounds like they had a pretty good fishing business because they had some hired men, so he comes from some prominence as well. And I'm building some background as we get into this message today, because I think it's really important that we understand who James, the son of Zebedee, is. Even though our information is somewhat limited on James, we know he played a significant role. He, in, a, in the listing of the 12 apostles, he always is third. And in the listing of the inner circle of Jesus, he is second, Peter, James, and John. And so we can, we can assume that, Peter, that James has a prominent role among the disciples, even though we don't have a ton of information on him. But as I study in this week about James's life, there was three things that really popped out to me that I thought that I felt like for us as a church, we needed to hear. Things that as James spent time with Jesus, things in his life that were one way, 
after spending time with Jesus, they went another direction. And that's always been my prayer for each and every one of us, including myself, is that as I spend time with Jesus, there are certain things in my life that I want to change from this direction. And, I, and sometimes I don't even know what those things are. And I want them to go this direction. Let me share three things that happened in James's life. The first one is this. Ambition went to passion. Ambition to passion. I want to share a, a, a famous story of the Zebedee brothers, and it's recorded in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to refer to this now, and we're also going to refer to it at the end of my message. And it's in, it's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 35 through 41. Follow along with me today. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, this is speaking to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, Jesus asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. This is James and John asking this. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for one, the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. James and John, as you can see from this passage of Scripture, are ambitious. When the other disciples found out that they had asked Jesus, man, they became angry. They were upset about what James and John had done. They were not happy. James was desiring a position of honor. He was ambitious to achieve greater status. Maybe it came from his upbringing. Maybe because of his family and maybe they were more prominent. That was kind of the dream, you know, kind of like the American dream. You, you always try to better yourself. And maybe James grew up in that kind of a household where you're going after it and you're, you're ambitious. You're trying to achieve more. But notice that Jesus, and I want you to catch this, Jesus wasn't scared of their ambition. We know that otherwise he wouldn't have ever chosen them to say, hey, come follow me. It didn't scare Jesus that they were ambitious. Jesus just needed to redirect their ambition towards a purpose. Ambition is usually guided towards individual achievement. Ambition is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if you think about it, it's what drives an athlete to achieve, that they're ambitious, that there's something, you know, they're, they're achieving something. Most successful people will have a, a certain level of ambition. If, if they don't have it, they probably won't achieve very much stuff because they need that ambition in them. But Jesus was taking that ambition and he was changing it to be something more purposeful. See, ambition that is only directed towards self will lead towards selfishness and become destructive. It creates a chase of never having enough. Boy, we see that in this world. Nothing ever satisfies uncontrolled ambition the task or the win becomes more important than the people around you 
Why do you think our divorce rate is so high? Why do you think that people will leave family and friends? Because their ambition is out of control. It is not, it is not surrendered underneath the, 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 the control of Jesus. And what happens, their ambition all of a sudden takes over their life. And the task and the win, the, the, the idea of winning becomes the greater thing. Then guess what? Their family, their friends, anything else around them. Jesus needed to take James and John's ambition and turn it towards a passion or a purpose. Jesus' death and resurrection is often referred to as the passion of the cross. Why? Because Jesus had a purpose behind what he was doing. When Jesus cleared the temple with a whip, do you remember that story? Where all of a sudden he comes into the temple and he sees all the money changers there. And all of a sudden he actually has a whip in his Jesus has a whip in his hand, and he starts to whip the people that are trying to gain profit and money off, and he's whipping them. And that's not selfish ambition that's taking place in Jesus' life. That's called passion for the house of God. That was a passion that was inside of Jesus that said, no, 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 this is not going to happen. This is to be called a house of prayer. And you have turned it into a temple of, to a thieves of Temple of dens or thieves of dens. Can't say that word right now. You know what I mean. Jesus needed to take James and John's ambition and turn it towards a passion and a purpose. Here's a thought for you. I was just as I was preparing the message, I just this came across in my mind. A person with a lot of passion, but who lacks ambition, will limit their productivity. A person with a lot of passion but lacks ambition, they just won't produce much. But a person with a lot of ambition who lacks passion, they, will, they might produce things, but they don't, guess what? What they produce is meaningless because they have no purpose behind it. James and John had a lot of ambition, but they were lacking the passion to make their lives meaningful. The second change that we see in James's life was a shift from judgment to restoration. There's an incident where the nickname Sons of Thunder becomes very appropriate description of James and John. The story is found in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus and his disciples were on the way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And on their way to Jerusalem, they're traveling through Samaria and they were going to stop at this village and spend the night. And James, or Jesus actually sends some of his messengers ahead of them, says, hey, go get prepared. Go find a place for us to stay. Go, go find some food for us so we can have a meal at, at this place, this little village in Samaria. So when they sent them, when, they, when Jesus and the disciples arrived, guess what? The village, the people in the village did not welcome Jesus and his disciples. They were not welcome to come into the village. And the reason they didn't welcome Jesus was because of, of an on, ongoing argument that was taking place between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. The Jewish people believe that you should worship the Lord in Jerusalem, at the temple in Jerusalem. Where, where the Samaritans believe that the place of worship was at the temple in Mount uh, Gerizim. And because Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he was just passing through. He just wanted to spend the night in this village of Samaria. But they knew he was going to Jerusalem to worship. They said, no, no, no. That, that's not the place to worship. You're not welcome to stay here. Now, this is where the fireworks begin. This is where the, 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 the nickname that Jesus gave James and John, really you can see it here, sons of thunder. Listen to what takes place in Luke chapter 9, verses 54 through 56. It says, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, 
Should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. I think Sons of Thunder is an appropriate nickname. James is ready to destroy a village. Call lightning down upon this village because they did not welcome Jesus into the village. Do you think his response is a little over the top? Maybe. Can you imagine next time you walk into the DMV, you find out no one wants to help you, or maybe you sit in the doctor's office for three or four hours, or, or my favorite, go into the Apple store. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I love the Apple product, but I hate going to their store because I just know it's going to be an all-day adventure. You know, next time you have that, can you imagine? I'm going to call down lightning. I'm going to call down thunder upon this place. I'm going to destroy this place. This is where James and John are in this, in this story. Now, the response was likely also fueled by a constant scenario of racism between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews viewed the Samaritans as uh, not a pure race because they had intermarried with uh, foreigners who worshipped idols. And so between the Samaritans and between the Jewish people, there was always this hatred going between the two of them. But what's interesting is that throughout Scripture, if you read Jesus' ministry, he was trying to reconcile that relationship. He was, always, he was always bringing Samaritans into his story, which is very interesting. He was always consistently displaying kindness towards the Samaritans. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the, is the woman at the well. Who is a Samaritan? And Jesus says, I, give, I can give you today living water where you will thirst no more. Another great story in the Bible is when Jesus heals the lepers. And, and remember the story? It was the one leper that came back and, and thanked Jesus. And which one was it? It was the Samaritan. And then one of the most famous parables that when we just talked about it not that long ago is the parable of the good Samaritan. Where Jesus shares the whole story and it was the Samaritan that stopped and helped the man that had been beaten and robbed. And so you can kind of see throughout Scripture that Jesus is trying to bring healing amongst the people. And yet here James and John are ready to call down thunder upon this village because they didn't accept Jesus. I don't think James had connected all the dots as of yet. Jesus had compassion for the Samaritans. So when James turns and states to Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them all up? Jesus rebukes James. And it's interesting, some of the biblical manuscripts of this passage, some of the later ones, actually include as Elijah did. So that scripture would read, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up as Elijah did? And I don't know that that should be added. It is added later on. But I can say this. It is highly probable. Catch this. It is highly probable that this is exactly what James and John were thinking. You know that when they grew up as little boys, they were being told of the stories of Elijah. They were told of the stories how Elijah called down lightning from, from heaven. They heard those stories. How King Ahaziah, Ahaziah <laughs> three different times sent troops of 50 soldiers to go arrest Elijah. Three different times he sent troops of 50 soldiers to go arrest Elijah. Two of the, the very first times Elijah called down lightning from heaven and they were all destroyed. The only reason the third group didn't get destroyed because the captain of the army came before Elijah and begged for mercy and said, please spare our lives. And guess what? God had, had compassion upon them and spared their lives. So no doubt this was going through James's mind as he enters the Samaritan village when he suggests, let's call down fire from heaven. But it received a 
stern rebuke from Jesus. Why? And I want you to catch this thought. For all, this is the art application for you and me for today. Because Jesus wasn't looking down to bring down judgment on people. Jesus was on a mission for restoration. Look at James and John weren't there yet. They had to get there. See, some of us have to get from our, our hatred of a certain people group, our racism or our dislike of our brother-in-law or sister-in-law or mother-in-law or whoever it might be, whatever. And hopefully you have a great relationship I do with my in-laws. But we have to get from there to a place of restoration. Look at Jesus' words found in John chapter 12, verses 46 through 48. These are Jesus' words. I have come as a light to shine in the dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in dark. Powerful. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world, not to judge it. Now catch this last sentence. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. See, James and John were on an agenda to pass judgment upon a group of people. But guess what? It wasn't time for that yet. Jesus was on a purpose for restoration. There is a time where Jesus will judge this world. But until that time, Jesus is calling people unto him. Jesus needed to align James's life, realign his life to his purpose and to his plan. Not to destroy the world, but to save the world. As followers of Jesus, we're given the same assignment. We're not called to pass judgment right now. Our whole goal is to restore people to the life of Jesus Christ. To introduce people to Jesus. As Paul Harvey would say for the rest of the story. Can I give you a rest of the story thing right now? For older people that understand what I'm saying. I am old. In Acts chapter 8, we can read how the persecution of the Jerusalem church had increased to such a great amount that the apostles and the disciples and the believers scattered. I believe it was all part of God's plan because when it scattered, it just took a fire to all the different lands, to all the different nations, and they started sharing about Jesus. And the apostle Philip went to a village in Samaria, and he began to share the good news of Jesus. And scripture states that people were physically healed, evil spirits were cast out, and great joy was found throughout the city. I want you to read, listen to verse 12 of Acts chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Could this be, could it possibly be maybe the same village that Jesus was rejected at? Could it be that? I mean, it's in Samaria. Who knows? At least some of the people in the village that Jesus was at probably knew some of the people where they were now all of a sudden Philip is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And people are getting saved. What would have happened if all of a sudden at that moment when James and John came out and they found out they rejected Jesus that first time, all of a sudden they would call down lightning from heaven and they would have destroyed the city. Those people would have never had a chance to meet Jesus on the second round. You see, there's people in your life where you get so discouraged with them, you get so frustrated with them, you just want to cut them off, you want to be done with them, you're over guess what maybe God is calling you to be patient because there's a time that's coming where all of a sudden he's going to appear to them and they're going to come to know Jesus the last shift that needed to take place in James's life is this 
He needed to go from privilege to suffering. Oh, Pastor Tom, why are you ending on suffering? Just follow with me. From privilege to suffering. Returning to the very first story that I shared as we started. The story of how James and John requested a favor from Jesus. Let me, let me read that request again. This is from James and John. It says, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in place, places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. Remember, that was a bold request. And man, it really just stirred up all the apostles. Everybody became upset. Everybody was frustrated. Everybody was mad what was taking place. And the disciples were probably still believing that Jesus was going to actually set up a physical kingdom on this earth immediately. And so they were looking, man, how can we, how can we all, you know, get the best position? It's why all the other disciples were angry because they were probably thinking the same thoughts. You know, they were probably thinking, they just James and John beat them to the punch. They, they, they asked Jesus what they were thinking and it frustrated them probably. But how did Jesus respond to the request? He responds with a very curious statement. He says these words. He says, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? And remember, James and John responded immediately, yes, 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 we are able. And it's at this point where Jesus declares these words. He says, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with, the, with my baptism of suffering. Then following those verses, we see Jesus calling all of his disciples together. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where maybe you have a, uh, employees or maybe you have a family situation and all of a sudden one person says one thing and it's at Christmas time and all of a sudden everything goes, you know, all hell breaks loose in the house and all of a sudden you have to call all the kids together or everybody together and, and you have to clear up some things. This is what Jesus is doing. All of a sudden James and John just stirred up a hornet's nest and everybody's upset. Everybody's, so he calls them all together. He says, hey, come here guys, come here, let me talk to you. And he shares this, this, this scripture with them. His words. He says, the rulers of this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, catch this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, James was looking for privilege, but Jesus was introducing a life of service. Jesus was shifting his thinking. It's not what you accumulate here on earth that really matters, it's what you accumulate in heaven that truly matters. Amen. James embraces the servanthood call. When he hears Jesus' words, it changes him. It takes him to a different place. All of a sudden, he's not looking for this life where all of a sudden he's elevated. Now all of a sudden he says, no, 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 no. I'm going to look at the life where I can serve my Lord and Savior, Jesus. James embraced this new role of servanthood to the point where eventually it led him to share in the same suffering as his Lord and Savior, Jesus, as the first disciple who was killed by the sword. It happened at the sword of King Herod. And it's a reminder for all of us that following Jesus is not always easy. It's not. We want to make it easy. There's people in this world today. There's a missionary 
that I know that we've supported that had to come home from the mission field just recently because guess what? It became so dangerous for him and his wife and his family because they were preaching Jesus. And they said, no, no, it's just just getting too dangerous. There's threats coming against your light. No, you got to get out of there. Today we have people that are serving Christ that guess what? It's not a life of privilege. It's a life of suffering. And, And it's not that... I'm calling everybody to a life of suffering. Man, this is Pastor Tom's message this Sunday. Man, let's not go back next week. I need something that's more uplifting than that. I get it. I don't want to live a life of suffering. I don't. But guess what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What? It's why Peter, Paul, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, they all wrote in their books, in, in the letters that they wrote that are included in the New Testament, they all wrote different formats of this where, that we are to rejoice if we face troubles and sufferings on the account of Jesus. Why? Because we have become a part of sharing in His truth. You see, if you truly are sharing Jesus out, outside these walls, If you truly are going out in your workplace or at your school or at the golf course or wherever you might be and you're willing to share the love of Christ, guess what? There are times when you do that, you're going to receive persecution. People are going to turn against you. People might not give you an option for a job or something. Now, there's going to, when you turn for Christ, let me tell you, God has blessings for you abundantly. He will bless you abundantly. But you will also have times of persecution through that process. And we can't be afraid of suffering. We can't be afraid of persecution. What we have to do is embrace our life in following Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost is. That's what Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He recognized it. Man, if you take up the cross, there's going to be suffering at times. But let's embrace that with joy, as the scripture says. Because if we are suffering for the cause of Christ, guess what? We are right there where Jesus wants us. Today, I challenge us to follow the life of James. We follow Jesus. But some of the things that we see in James's life is pretty powerful. Let's allow Jesus to change our selfish ambition to a godly passion. Let's allow Jesus to change our judgmental attitudes to a forgiving attitude. And let's allow him to change our thinking from a life of privilege to a life of service. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that you chose 12 very ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You didn't choose the high and mighty. You didn't choose the, the, the people that were movie stars or, or the, the people that were the political elites of the day or the rich or what prominent people. But you just chose 12 ordinary people. And the reason we thank you for that, Lord, today is because it gives us, each and every one of us, hope. That, Lord God, that you can use ordinary people for your glory. And I pray over every, every person that's here today, I don't, whatever type of week they've had, or month they've had, or year they've had, difficulties they had, struggles they've had, I pray over each and every one of us, Lord God, that through those sufferings, through those times, through those difficulties, Lord, we will remember to shine your light because we are the light into the darkness because Lord you live within us help us Lord God 
to be light in the dark. Help us, Lord God, to choose, Lord God, if we have to, that we could choose suffering. If it, if it required that we could choose suffering to share your light to those who need you. I pray over each person here today that your love would become abundant in their life. And if someone either watching online or someone here in church don't, doesn't really know you, I pray today they make that commitment to follow you today. And for those who have just been struggling with sin, that, like us all, for those who have been struggling with sin, God, I pray for a greater grace, a greater mercy upon their life that they can say no to sin and choose to follow you today. Lord, let us be a light like James and John were light. Temper, Lord God, those things in our life that need to be tempered. And God, I pray that you would use them for your glory. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.